turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Contentment is not having more things, but believing what you have is enough. Remember the old song, happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have? The Bible would agree with that. The secret to contentment is not having more, but believing what you have is enough. Write that down. That'll save you a lot of money. It really will. No matter how much we have, it seems we're always eager for a little bit more, doesn't it? Well, today on Know the Truth, we'll discover something that's far more valuable than possessions. Philip DeCourcy continues a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. After years of living in the lap of luxury, Solomon had some rich insights into what really matters in life. Thousands of years later, his words are still relevant. Right now, we're looking at the virtue of contentment. And here's our teacher, Philip DeCourcy. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, when we were last with Solomon, he was arguing for a greater sense of satisfaction that comes through moderating your desires, that comes through settling for the golden mean. Look at verse 6 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Better a handful with quietness. Solomon is encouraging us to promote moderation in our lives, to seek contentment in our lives, to get a proper balance between rest and labor, ambition and contentment, to realize that there's a difference between making a living and enjoying a life. He argues that more is often less, okay? And less is often more. And so rather than continue on through the rest of chapter 4, I felt drawn for my own good and for your own benefit, to really drill down into this thought of contentment. If you're taking some notes, and you should be, here's the first thought. Anticipate a struggle. The road to contentment is a bumpy one. It's not an easy one. Contentment doesn't come naturally. In fact, discontentment comes naturally. Discontentment is part of our DNA. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. It's part of our sin nature. It's part of our fallenness. It's part of our wickedness. It's part of our rebellion as people against a holy, loving, providing God. We got it from our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve. They struggled with it. There they are. Go back to Genesis 2 and 3. You'll see them in the middle of the garden. It's plush. It's pleasurable. It's beautiful. It's bountiful. All those trees to enjoy. But there's one tree in the middle of the garden. What? You can't touch that. What happens? They become fixated on the one thing they can have. 
and they become blind to everything they do have. My friend, that is sin in all its ugliness. When you find yourself wanting what you don't have, not appreciating what you do have, hey, you're back in the Garden of Eden. You're rebelling. You're showing likeness to that fallen family. In fact, I'd say this, this is worth writing down. Sin at its core is a desire to find satisfaction outside of God's provision. Sin is a desire to have more than God has willed. Do you want more than what God has willed for you right now? That may be sin. Remember we said it's not passivity, so there may be something else that you legitimately can reach for. But often it's illegitimate. It's dissatisfaction. It's discontentment. That comes to us naturally. We don't take the contentment like a duck takes the water. Go over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you notice Paul mentions twice there that he learned contentment? Like he didn't go to bed one night and pray for it and wake up in the morning all content. No. I wish it was as easy as that, but I'm sorry. It's not going to be as easy as that. Jewels and precious stones are forged in the darkness under pressure over time. And contentment is a rare jewel. And like a rare jewel, it will be forged in our lives in the darkness under pressure over time. Contentment must be learned over a lifetime and relearned over a lifetime. Some of you need to relearn it. You're at a better place, but now you're not so content. You're not so satisfied in God alone. I like the story of the Quaker who was watching his neighbor move in next door. He watched all the gadgets, all the plush furniture. And then he called his neighbor over and said, welcome to our neighborhood. If you find you're lacking anything, my friend, just give me a call and I'll show you how to live without it. We've got to learn to live on less. And often that's part of the process of learning contentment. Here's the second thought. Want what you have. Number one, anticipate a struggle. Number two, want what you have. Let's go back to that passage we read in Hebrews 13. Just hear it again because there's something in here you need to get. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Wow. And if you go over to 1 Timothy 6 verse 8, we're told having food and clothing, therewith be content. Contentment is a matter of accepting, wanting, and being thankful for what you have. If you've got food, if you've got clothing, the Bible says you're a candidate for contentment. And then beyond that, you've got the Lord's promise never to leave you or forsake you. The Lord's your helper. The secret to contentment is not having more, but believing what you have is enough. Write that down. That'll save you a lot of money. It really will. Contentment is not having more things, but believing what you have is enough. Remember the old song, happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have? The Bible would agree with that. The truly rich are those with the fewest wants. There's a great freedom in that, isn't there? There's a great freedom in accepting the simple pleasures and provisions of life. 
Let that replace this desire for bigger and better. You'll instantly become rich without having it all. Now, there's two things that play into this, wanting what you have. Number one, lower your expectations. And number two, distinguish between need and greed. This means lowering your expectations and distinguishing need from greed. When you get down to contentment, contentment has little to do with how much you have, and it has everything to do with expectations. Be content with such things as you have. Food and clothing. Contentment is found in recognizing that's enough. What we need to do is define our expectations biblically. We mustn't let the culture define them. We mustn't let our long wish list be the measure of our contentment. We need to define our lives biblically. We need to remember, according to Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 31 to 32, when he's dealing with the whole issue of anxiety and material things, he says, your father knows the things you have need of. There's our word again, need. The basics. What were the disciples worried about? What they would eat, what they would wear. But our Father knows the things we have need of. We need to define our needs. We need to lower our expectations. We don't need that many things, but we desperately need God. That's why we need to seek first His kingdom. Then the other things will come in God's good time. We don't need another thing, but we do need a new experience of God. When we desire God more and desire things less, we become instantly wealthy and we're on the path to contentment. This isn't a call, by the way, to a, a vow of poverty. It's a simple recognition that we can live on a lot less than we think. We need to recognize we've been brainwashed by Madison Avenue. If you want to add to your life, subtract from your list. There's a good statement. You want to add to your life? Subtract from your list. In fact, this is what Jeremiah Burroughs deals with in his little book. Listen to his words. They're, they're archaic, but I think you'll get the gist of them. A Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. That is his way of contentment, and it is a way that the world has no skill in. I open it thus. Not so much by adding to what he would have or to what he has, not by adding more to his condition, but rather by subtracting from his desires so as to make his desires and his circumstances even and equal. See, what I really need is God. And what really counts is his kingdom. And you know what? When you've got that in its place, then all you need is the fuel to fire your body, clothes to cover your nakedness, somewhere to live so you can serve the kingdom. Listen to those words again. A Christian comes to contentment, not so much by way of addition as by way of subtraction. Now, that naturally follows on to this idea of distinguishing between need and greed. Lower your expectations. Redefine your life, biblically speaking. Proportion your life as God's word states it. Not as the culture states it, but as the Word of God states it. Remember to distinguish between what you have promised yourself and what God has promised you in His Word. Two different things. But we get lost in the middle of failing to make that distinction. Now, we need to distinguish between need and greed. 
Your Father knows the things you have need of. Paul said in that passage on contentment to the Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs or your need according to his riches and glory. And we know that the need is basically defined as food and clothing, shelter, the burn essentials of life. You and I need to realize that contentment then is a matter of distinguishing between need and greed and trusting God to meet the need. There's a definition of contentment itself. But that's not easy. For the few minutes that remain, I want to remind you that that's not easy. That's why it's going to be a struggle. If you're going to get to where Solomon says, a handful with quietness is better than two handfuls with toil, that's not going to be easy. Not in this culture. Not living where we live. The food and clothing thing, you get there pretty quick in Asia. You get there pretty quick in Africa. But that's not the case in Western culture, and certainly not in America, and of all places, Southern Cal, where the bling determines value and our estimation of things. No, it's not going to be easy. There's more things to enjoy here. We're going to be constantly drawn after more and more and more. Now, let me say this. I don't want to be misunderstood. We're not going to asceticism here. We're not arguing that, you know, a nice car, a comfortable home, you know, a nice cut of clothes are wrong. We're not saying that, you know, things haven't changed for the better. They have, okay? I'm glad that there's more things. I'm glad that life has brought to us more advances and more advantages. I'm glad that there's indoor plumbing. Are you not? I mean, I'm old enough to remember my grandmother's outhouse. And Belfast used to go out into the backyard to a little whatever it was. And, and, you know, so I'm glad for indoor plumbing. I'm glad for all the, the advantages that you and I enjoy. And so are you. And we thank the Lord for that. But listen, with this profusion of things, with this escalation of benefits, there's a danger. It messes with our desires. And it messes with the definition of what's necessary and what's optional. That's the trouble. Just because you can have more doesn't mean you should desire more. Or that that's God's will for you. It's not necessarily God's will that you get a bigger home. Or a better car. Or that your kid goes to a fancier school. Now there's those possibilities, but they're not for everyone and they're not within the reach of everyone. And they're not necessary for your contentment. They don't affect your relationship with God, do they? They don't define your worth as a human being, do they? They don't stall the grace of God being poured out on your home, do they? No, Solomon reminds us that more is not necessarily better. Less is sometimes more. Sometimes you're better staying in that smaller home so that you've got margins. You're not paying for some big mortgage and running crazy to pay it. We need to be reminded of the words of Jesus in Luke 12. Beware of covetousness, for a man's life is not defined by the things that he possesses. Listen, we're possessing more and more and more, and that stuff's beginning to possess us. 
and we're losing our contentment. We're getting our eyes off heaven. We're not where we could be with God. Listen, one sociologist revealed that in 1900, the average American wanted 72 different things and considered 18 of them essential. What do you think today? Here's what the average American wants, 500 things, and 100 of them are essential. Is it 18 or 100? It's probably more like 18, to be honest, isn't it? But you see, there's been an escalation of stuff. And I think we need to remind ourselves that they're all just like the optional extras with your car. It's nice to have a sunroof. It's nice to have a six-CD player that changes in the back of your car, the push of a button. It's nice to have alloy wheels. But you know what? The car's not, you know, a mobile office. It's not a floating hotel. It's a vehicle to get you from A to B. And in its essence, none of that stuff changes the function of the car. It's not necessary for your car. It's nice. I love those heated seats that you get in there. I love that. But it's not necessary, okay? I just have to put a, you know, a a sweatshirt on or whatever. But you see, what happens is this. You have what Richard Swenson calls the escalation of the norm and then the normalization of the escalation. You get his point? Life's always moving forward. We want it to be that way. We're not going back to white houses and all of that. But as there's the escalation of the norm, the goalposts keep moving, and then we keep redefining necessary, normal, and we get away from the biblical definition, and then you've got the escalation of the normal, and then the normalization of the escalation, and before you know it, we're wanting what God hasn't promised us. If you and I are going to combat the escalation of the norm, we need to remind ourselves that we need few things to make us happy. Those are the things we keep going back to, the things that are reliable, the things that are most comfortable. Our favorite restaurant, our favorite walking shoes, our favorite easy chair, our favorite television program. Rick Moranis, does that name ring a bell? He's a comedic actor. You've seen him in Honey, I Strunk the Kids. Ghostbusters, dozen other movies. He wrote an op-ed piece entitled, My Days Are Numbered. Listen to these words. I have five television sets. I have two DVR boxes, three DVD players, two VHS machines, and four stereos. I have 19 remote controls. I have three computers, four printers, two non-working faxes. I have three phone lines, three cell phones, two answering machines, but I have no messages. I have 46 cookbooks. I have 68 takeaway menus from four restaurants. I have 382 dishes, bowls, cups, saucers, mugs, and glasses. And yet I mostly eat over the sink. (laughs) I have 39 pairs of golf, tennis, squash, running, walking, hiking, casual, formal shoes, ice skates, rollerblades. But most of the time, you'll find me wearing my slippers. I read three dailies, four weeklies, five monthlies. I have 506 CD, cassette, vinyl, eight-track recordings. And yet I listen to the same radio station all day long. What's his point? It's the simple things that satisfy us the most. And we don't need as much as we think to make us happy. And we allow the culture to rewrite God's agenda for us as Christians. And so we think more is better. When Solomon said, it's better 
to have a handful and quietness than to have two hands full and toil and trouble. Here's a parting thought, a little qualification. Although we are supposed to be content with what we have, okay? What's our two points so far? Accept the struggle or anticipate the struggle. Number two, want what you have. Although we're to want what we have, we're to be content with what we have. We're never to be content with who we are. In Philippians 4, Paul's content. In Philippians 3, he's not content. He's got this holy dissatisfaction. He says, you know what? I haven't laid hold of all that God has laid hold of me for. Therefore, I forget those things which are behind. And like a breathless runner, I press towards the mark. I'm going after Jesus Christ. I'm going after heaven. I'm going after all that God has for me in his wonderful, so great salvation. Oh, I'm content with where I am and what I have, but I'm not content with where I am with Christ and who I am before God. Therefore, each day Paul sought to be holier than he was the day before. That's where our focus needs to be. We need to get off things. We need to get our focus on God and the Word and the church and eternity and heaven and hell. That will put all the rest of the stuff in its proper perspective. David Brainard said, Oh God, help me not to loiter on my way to heaven. Don't loiter on your way to heaven. Be happy with what you have, but each day seek to be more than you are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these great truths. We are a restless culture. Lord, we thank you for our country. Thank you for all the doors of opportunity that are ours, all the blessings that can be known. Lord, help us to lower our expectations. Lord, you haven't promised us everything. Listening to the TV, it seems that we're worth it all. We deserve it all. It's ours to have, so long as we're willing to get into debt. Lord, help us as Christians to step back. Let the Word wash us from the filth of the culture. Make us more contented. Make us more happy in God. Help us to struggle to fight the culture. Help us to fight our own desires. Help us to know the difference between what you have promised for us and what we have promised to ourselves. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, his rule. And then, Lord, we know that you'll get us that food, you'll get us that clothing so we might serve you until you call us home. And that in itself is true happiness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Learning the Art of Contentment with Philip DeCourcy. This is Know the Truth, and you're listening to a study in Ecclesiastes called Only the Lonely. Perhaps you've been wrestling with a difficult situation in your life, and contentment seems out of reach. We hope you'll stay with us as we continue to study the liberating principles in God's Word related to this topic. You can also hear these daily broadcasts when you go online or download the free KTT app or podcast. Visit ktt.org. At Know the Truth, we're committed to proclaiming the truth of God's Word with boldness, clarity, and conviction. Philip DeCourcy always puts the focus on knowing Christ through God's true and unchanging Word. But what if we have a small view of God? How does that affect our faith in Him? That's the subject of a book by pastor and theologian J.D. Greer titled, Not God Enough. The book uncovers why your small God leads to big problems, and we'll send you a copy when you give online at ktt.org. 
or call 888-644-8811. It's available for just a few more days, so don't delay. Request Not God Enough when you give. And if you're a regular listener to Know the Truth, join our team as one of our monthly Truth Ambassadors. When you give monthly, you'll receive many other special resources like the Accord newsletter and a monthly live video devotional from Philip. Become a Truth Ambassador when you sign up online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we want to send you a welcome gift. It's an entirely free CD message from Philip called, Why Does God Allow Us to Suffer? This compassionate sermon shows us how God can use our pain for good. Request the free CD message online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. So glad you joined us today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Your story of faith and spiritual growth is important. This is WAVA General Manager Tom Moyer. Here at WAVA, we're very interested in hearing how the radio station has made a direct and positive impact on your life. It's our hope and prayer that what you hear from us positively affects you and your family and circle of influence. It may be an encouraging word on a difficult day or a timely message that addresses a need in your life. We would love for you to tell us how WAVA has influenced your life in the past and is influencing you now. Here's what we're asking you to do. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story, record your video message on a camera or a mobile device, and share your story with us. And for simply sharing your impact story with us, you'll automatically be eligible to win a grand prize of an Apple iPad Pro and an Apple Pencil. You have until October 23rd to share your story, so do it today. Go to WAVA.com, use the keyword story for all the details on how to share your video. Go to WAVA.com, type in the keyword story. And thank you. We all-